morning. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just thank you and we praise you this morning, Lord. We're just so thankful, Lord, that we can be here this morning, Lord, just to worship you, Lord. And we just pray for your blessings, Lord, on this meeting. We just pray that you would be with the choir, Lord, and just give us your word and song, Lord Jesus. We just pray, Father, for our brother Randy. Lord, we know you've prepared him this week, Lord, just to deliver your message. Speak through him, Lord. Hide him behind the cross, Lord Jesus. Father, we just pray for a blessing this morning, Lord, for those of us that know you, Father God, that do have that comfort of being under your wing, Lord Jesus. We just pray for growth, Lord. And if there are those here this morning that don't know you, we pray, Father God, that they would be touched this morning, that they would come to that point, Lord, to accept you, Lord Jesus, and come into your kingdom, Lord. We just thank you. We praise you. We ask all of this in your son Jesus' name. Amen.
Well, good morning. I think we would all say amen to that, right? The Lord is worthy to be praised. Yes, he is. I'd like you to turn in your Bibles, if you would, please, to Luke chapter 8. Luke chapter 8, verses, we're going to look at verses 22 to 25. You say, oh, that's good, only three verses, so maybe it won't go too long today. Well, there's a lot in these three verses. theme this morning is the question, where is your faith? And I noticed that Dean said for the month of March, you're going to be thinking, and the bulletin is on the theme of, of faith. And really, that's the question today. As believers in the Lord Jesus, where is our faith? And I'm going to read from verse 22. Now on those days, Jesus and his disciples got into a boat, and he said to them, let us go over to the other side of the lake. So they launched out, but as they were sailing along, he fell asleep, and a fierce gale of wind descended on the lake, and they began to be swamped and to be in danger. They came to Jesus and woke him up, saying, Master, Master, we are perishing. And he got up and rebuked the wind and the surging waves, and they stopped, and it became calm. And he said to them, Where is your faith? They were fearful and amazed, saying to one another, Who then is this that he commands even the winds and the water? And they obey him. And he said to them, Where is your faith? And they were fearful and amazed, saying to one another, Who then is this that he commands even the winds and the water? And they obey him. Well, two years ago was the year of storms. If you follow meteorology at all, or you have any interest at all in weather, you know that two years ago was the year. There were a record 31 hurricanes that hit the U.S. in some way, shape, or form. And of course, two years ago, who will ever forget, and easier maybe for us here in California, the effects of Katrina. Sometimes our memory forgets that over 1,400 people lost their lives, along with the staggering dollar loss that went well into the billions. And even the consequences of that storm are still being felt today. I was recently at a conference in January where the captain who oversees the communications division for the New Orleans Police Department was speaking for an hour and showing us the slides of what it was like then and what it's like now. And there's still so much that needs to be done and still so much pain and suffering from that one storm. <coughs> Physical storms can be frightening, obviously, and they can be deadly. Rash of tornadoes hit Arkansas, I think, over the weekend. A number of people were injured in that case. And unless you're a storm chaser, most don't wish for a storm. However, for myself, I plan my trips to the mountains when I think one's coming, because I want to be there for a storm. I love a good old snowstorm, and one day I've said to Cindy, and she hasn't signed on board yet, that one of our trips, I'd love to be a storm chaser going after tornadoes somewhere in the Midwest <laughs> in spring or in the summer, but she hasn't given me the green light on that one yet, <laughs> at least not with her myth with me. 
In life, though, we go through a lot of different kind of storms, don't we? And, of course, I'm not talking about the physical ones. If you like, they're the ones that try and they test our faith. And really, there's a number of these types of storms, and we could go on and we could kind of go on and we could mention them, and probably we will hit one or two that are for you, maybe those storms that you have either passed through before, that you've been in it, you may be in it now, uh, or the good news is you may go in it in the future. But it could be something in the whole realm of sickness. And we've just been hearing right now about that for Barbara. Matter of fact, I remember Barbara actually on a couple of messages I've given over the years afterwards would take notes, but different than most people taking notes. She would write a poem of my message, of what she heard. I mean, she was able to actually write down the message in a poem, and that's really paying attention. That's a real gift. But sickness, it could be in the area of financial, the financial storms that are blowing. It could be in the area of your job, your family, school situations, relationships, insecurities, loneliness, different frustrations that you might be feeling, even guilt at the moment, difficulties in communication with someone you love, maybe your children or your spouse, conflicts with your kids, resolutions with money management, debt, whatever it might be, these are the different storms and there may be many others that sometimes are blowing in our direction. And in this situation, we can take the fact that there was a physical storm that was occurring here and we can apply it into our lives. And really the purpose this morning for the time we have together for the next few minutes is to understand this premise that's in the Word of God, that He uses His sovereign purposes, what God does, what God allows, so that we may know who He is. And that as a result of knowing who He is and understanding His greatness and understanding His power and His ability, that our faith might become more mature or some verses of Scripture refer to it as perfect. In other words, that wherever we are in our faith today, God wants to use all of these different storms in our lives, sometimes more than even one at a time, so that as a result of in the process and through it, we come out stronger in Him. And really the exciting thing here is, is in, and it's true for us as well, is that the disciples in these three short verses that we read about here in Luke chapter 8, they experience something of the awesome power of the Lord Jesus Christ. And as I read, it leaves them asking, who is this? They thought, they thought that they knew him. They thought that they had some understanding of who he was. But whatever they thought, whatever they thought at that time of what he was like, they realized that he's something more. He's something even more special. He's someone more special than we even realized as a result of this incredible miracle because I know of no other story of anyone ever being able to do the thing that the Lord Jesus has done here. He stands alone. So let's get on board on this journey. Verse 22. Now on one of those days, Jesus and disciples got into a boat. You think, you know, well, why did he cross the lake? Why did he want to go on this boat journey. And we find later on in reading in Luke chapter 8 that there was a man who was demonized by 6,000 demons. We've been studying in the fellowship that I belong to and we've been meeting with a number of people who do not know the Lord Jesus. About a dozen or so have been coming out to this study. And we call it the journey. 
And we've been looking at Jesus and how he met with people, sometimes individually, sometimes in the crowds, but that he has a heart for people. Matter of fact, we were just looking earlier this morning at the story of Lazarus in John chapter 11. There's this wonderful thing about Jesus that says that he loved Lazarus, and he loved Martha, and he loved Mary. And the comforting thing for you and I today is he's that kind of person. As great as he is, he's very personal, and he loves us. And he was concerned about this man who was demonized by these 6,000 demons. And so he was always busy, as we know of him and whatever we know of the Lord Jesus, he was always busy doing the Father's business, doing his Father's will. And so he says to the disciples, let's get into the boat. And it says that the disciples got into the boat. They followed him. They obeyed him. And in its simplicity, sometimes we make things a lot too more complex than they need to be. That that simply is what a disciple is, is a follower of Jesus who desires to obey and follow in whatever it is and wherever he's going, we're going to go. Wherever he's leading, we're going to follow and we're going to go with him. Truth is, we find that sometimes difficult to do. And yet, I have this dog at the moment that we purchased a couple years ago named Skipper. And the awesome thing about a dog, and probably there's a number of people here who have one, but they really do like to obey usually. And the nice thing about this dog Skipper is, is he's a really an ugly looking thing and we don't really know what he is. He's just a mutt. But where I go, he follows. If I go to the, my computer and I sit at the chair, wherever he's been, he goes and he sits. If I get up and I go into the bedroom, he's following. If I go outside, he follows. He's a follower. He doesn't like this word, crate, because the word crate for him means that he leaves us in the living room during the evening and he has to go back into this crate. And then I lock the door and he's in for the night. And funny enough, all we have to do is say this word, crate, and I get an always about, probably 99% of the time, I get a growl <laughs> when I say the word crate. And actually, just a couple of days ago, my daughter was sitting in a couch about here, and he was about where the top of the steps are, and she said crate, and he ran toward her, barked, growled, and ran into the crate. And I was thinking, it's kind of like us. Even though he doesn't want to do it, sometimes he did it, though. He goes, and he obeys, even if it's begrudging. And I really don't know what's all behind in dog language of the growl and the bark and running back. But you get the sense he's not happy about it, but he's still obeying. He follows the command of the family. And really, I think he knows he's loved, and it's in his best interest what we want him to do, even for a simple dog. And certainly it's in our best interest as God's children to follow him where he's commanding us to go. And so the disciples go with the Lord Jesus. But we see in verse 23 and 24, things have changed. I don't know what the weather conditions were like when they got into the boat, but the Sea of Galilee is notorious for violent storms that can kind of occur out of nowhere. And it has to do with the topography, and I won't bore you with all of those interesting details to me, but it is known for intense storms that can occur out of nowhere. Some suggest that maybe this particular storm may have even had some satanic origin in it because of what Jesus is wanting to go do. As well as the fact that if the devil thought, hey, you know what, if in some way he knew or somehow he could know that Jesus was going to be sleeping, this just might be a time to take him out. 
But of course, God's in control and that wasn't going to happen. But nonetheless, there was this storm. Conditions deteriorated rapidly. And yet, as they start out, Jesus, of course, as if you look back earlier in chapter 8 or the other accounts of this in the Gospels, Jesus had an incredibly busy day. Busy evening. He's been up early. He's tired. This is the wonderful thing about the Lord. He's not only God, but he's perfect man. And he's sleeping. We'd probably be too. And everything seemed peaceful for the disciples. They thought this was great. With Jesus on a boat, all's well. But of course it says here, but as they were sailing along and he fell asleep, a fierce gale and wind descended on the lake. It's kind of like our lives, isn't it? Things can be going very calmly, very peacefully. And out of nowhere, a wind blows, a storm comes. Maybe of the ones that I described earlier. And things have changed. Some of you know, and he actually, I remember, spoke here, I believe, a couple of times, Jeff Lanick. We need to be in prayer for Jeff Lanick. He's very seriously, very seriously ill. And the doctors haven't physically given him much longer. For Jeff, a man probably about my age, probably there, everything was going very well, and all of a sudden, something in his health struck him. And unless God decides to restore him here on this earth, uh, in a short time or however long God believes is right and necessary, he'll be going to be with him. But how quickly things can change. I often am sitting in the comm center at the police and the 911 rings, and no one had any idea when they dialed 911 at that moment, when they got up earlier in that day, or as their day went, they had no idea that this situation was going to occur, whatever it is. We know that life is very sudden in its nature. Things change. Sometimes it, we're the, maybe the people that would like things to kind of stay exactly as they are. And the older we get, we may like that. But the reality is, is things change. God knows what he's doing, but nothing stays the same. He created seasons. Things change. Now this is a significant storm. This is no tiny little thing here. This, in one sense, if you like, is like a perfect storm. And four of the disciples, at least, that were on this boat, but at least four of them were fishermen. And they had experience in handling these kind of storms. They knew what was going on. These weren't novices, and they probably, in their own strength, were doing everything they could to try and keep the water out of the boat, to do everything they could to try and keep this boat afloat so they wouldn't drown. But you can tell that this was a losing battle. And they used the words, when they came to verse 24, they said, we're perishing. I mean, we're going to die. This is this bad. This isn't just a case of somebody needs to get us some more Dramamine, you know, because we're feeling a little nauseous on the boat here. Things are going rocking a little bit. This is a serious situation, and the fear of death was gripping their hearts. And we can understand that. Probably the majority of us, if not all of us in this room, at least in some part, don't want to die. We're anxious in one sense, like Paul, we're torn. We want to be with the Lord, but sometimes we're not sure. You know, we still want to stay here for whatever the purposes are God wants us. But we often kind of do what we can so that we don't die. It's something we'd rather have delayed. My dad told me the story about two 90-year-old males who were best friends. They shared a lot of things in common. Among one of those, they were avid baseball fans. And one day, one found out that one was in the hospital on his deathbed. And he said, you know, 
among all their talking and reminiscing about their lives, he said, you know, when you get to heaven, can you find out if they play baseball? Because they loved baseball so much. A short time later, the man passed away and the fellow had a dream. The other friend left behind. And in his dream, his friend said to him, I've got good news and bad news. And the good news was is that they did play baseball in heaven. But in his dream, the bad news was he was told, you're going to be pitching next Wednesday. <laughs> it was something sometimes we view. We view it. We'd rather have it put off. And the disciples aren't saying, okay, well, we're going to drown. You know, it's, we're going to perish. And there's fear. This morning, you may be in a situation where if you're truthful and honest with yourself, you'd say, you know what, I am very fearful of death. And that might be very much because you're not sure where you're going when you die. And this is the marvelous thing and the marvelous truth about what the scriptures teach and what the wonderful gospel message is, is that Jesus Christ has come so that we may no longer be afraid of death because he's going to take care of that problem that we have, that sin problem, that issue that is going to cause us to be judged before a holy God. And he says, I took that for you when I died on the cross. And if you put your trust in me, you believe in me for your salvation, you don't have to fear death because you're going to, as we were this morning with Lazarus, even though you die, you'll live. It's an amazing thing. Well, how did Jesus handle this storm compared to how the disciples handled it? Well, Jesus is sleeping peaceably while the storm is going on. He's trusting in his heavenly Father. And you say, well, you know, maybe no, he's just a deep sleeper. You know, that's, you know, as a man, he, maybe he's just a deep sleeper and he wasn't conscious of it. No, I don't, I don't believe that. I believe it's because he had this wonderful trust in his Father and knew exactly what he was doing. And so he trusted in him. And he knew that his father is in control of all things. And so he knew something that we sometimes know and forget, and that's this, that we don't have to fret. We don't have to be like this. And we can even know a peaceful night's sleep in the midst of whatever storm we're in. Jesus said, the one who has sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, for I always do what pleases him. John 8 Verse 29, maybe that's one of your favorite verses some of you will share next week. He hasn't left me alone. That's what the Lord Jesus said, and that's true in our lives. If you're a Christian this morning, he hasn't left you alone. That was the secret to his calmness. That was the secret to his composure. I always remember friends of ours a couple years ago when they got the news that their 17-year-old son had fallen in Yosemite off a cliff 100 feet and had died instantly. I remember that evening, Cindy and I going to visit the family, the mother and father. And there was this, it would be hard to describe, there was this strange calmness that even in their incredible grief, they were experiencing. There was a, a certain composure, uh, a certain uh, peace, even in the darkest of days, when all of a sudden like that, their 17-year-old son was taken God knew best in that. How did the disciples handle the storm? Well, in Mark's gospel, the way that the, the disciple worded it, he says, don't you care that we're perishing? Don't you care? And 
And it was good, though, at least on this, that they knew the right person to run to. They turned to the, to the Lord Jesus and they turned to him. And even though we may have some question and some issue with what their psyche was and what they were thinking and what their understanding of it was, they, they at least went to the Lord. And they said, you know, don't you care? We're perishing. You know, Master, we're drowning. And this is a question that we have to remind ourselves because the enemy of our souls would want to remind us of this probably every week, if not every day. He would want to say to us, you know what? You do not have a God who really cares for you. You don't have a God who really cares about your troubles. You're just one person out of a billions that are here that have come and gone before. And does Jesus really care? Would he have allowed this storm that you're in right now to happen if he cared for you? And that's a lie that the devil would want to tell us. That Jesus doesn't care. And I want to tell you today that he does care. You know, we know that shortest verse in the Bible. Jesus wept. And whatever else was going on for all those reasons Jesus was weeping, it tells you something that he feels with his people. He saw this destructiveness of sin and death and all the sadness and professional mourners there and weeping and all the sadness in the human situation because of sin. And he wept, but he feels for us. He cares. I can remember my wife. She's one of the deepest sleepers that I know. Not that I know very many people who I've watched sleep, but at least in the sense of who I can understand because I have seen her through earthquakes and, and thunder and lightning and heavy rainstorms sleep. When I'm, you know, if I hear a mouse walking in the house, I'm immediately up and paying attention, unfortunately. But I can always remember with our four kids, the interesting thing about her was is that as deep as a sleeper she was for those situations that when one of the girls would make that little whimper of that little sound when it was time for a feeding, whatever hour of the night it was, and you ladies know, and some of you men do too, of course, and I would watch her kind of wake up, just wake up for that little sound of a cry from one of our kids, and yet go right through the thunderstorm and the earthquake and not hear that. And I knew and they said, you know what, that's just a mother's love. That's just a mother's love and care for her kids. And you ladies can understand that. But that's how the Lord Jesus feels toward us this morning. He cares about whatever storm you and I are in. And don't think for a minute differently. And the Lord Jesus shows his uh, concern because he doesn't just roll back over when they tell him, you know, don't you care that we're drowning or we're perishing? He, he acts. He does something about it. His compassion if you notice in the Gospels, always moved him to do something. And so the Lord Jesus does something here. Verse 24, the last part of verse 24, it says, And he got up and rebuked the wind and the surging waves, and they stopped, and it became calm. In other translations, it's worded, Quiet! Be still! It's interesting, isn't it? Jesus is seen exercising his divinity, his lordship over demons, over disease, and even over death. And all of those obey his word, but it's only man who refuses. Isn't it interesting? He didn't have to say it twice or three times, or, or four times to the waves and to the wind, a single command. And it wasn't a case of it just kind of subsiding in time from the force of the hurricane winds from 75 miles an hour or, or greater. 
to 70 to 65 to 60 to 40 to 30, and finally it was calm. Scripture tells us it was an instant calm. What awesome power and authority. Then in verse 25, he gives a rebuke. And he said to them, where is your faith? It's interesting that there's quite a bit that Jesus could have or might have said. The writers don't tell us. However, all the writers who are witnesses to this event, they all record this rebuke. This is the key. Where is your faith? Other translations, he also adds, you have little faith. Or he says, do you still have no faith? And we know, probably the litmus test is this, that we know that in one sense it's difficult maybe to tell this morning how strong our faith is in the object of Jesus Christ today unless it's tested. That's in a way how you know, isn't it? You can think everything, you know, everything's good because right now God's been very gracious in, in his sovereign purposes. He's saying, you know what, I think it's best right now in our lives and I'm giving you quiet waters. And you're going to be sailing on quiet waters in your life. But later today or tomorrow or next week, he might say, or maybe he said to you last month or last week, he might say, you know what, you're going to go through some stormy times now. But I'm going to be with you in it. Probably the disciples may have had some sense of uh, comfort in thinking, you know what, we're okay. We're with Jesus in the boat. You know, we've left all to follow him. You know, it's all good. They probably thought, you know, we have faith in God. We're his disciples. But this faith was really revealed in the time of testing. This storm showed what kind of faith they had. One of the men in our, one of the couples in our small group Bible study that we were getting really close to that we had known for a number of years before had just been in our home on December the 18th. A week later, the husband uh, came back to the house because she had been ill with a cold and came back and found her uh, passed away in the hallway of their home. A woman in her early 60s, but she knew Christ. Of course, this man, not knowing what's happening, dials 911 and he comes into our comm center. And I listened to his phone call. I wasn't working that day, but I listened to how he was on the phone when I came after visiting him. I heard the news that day and I went over to the home. The uh, morticians were still there. But the next day I went and I listened to him on that 911 call. And you know what? It was the most incredible composure. The most incredible kind of peace. He was saying, please, thank you, on a 911 call where he's looking at his wife of 35 plus years, uh, deceased in a home. I said, you know, uh, to this brother, I said, you know, God gave you an incredible tranquility in that situation. And he goes, yes, he did. It wasn't that he was in shock. Yeah, in a sense, that's true. But it was the presence of Christ, even in that situation there. And I've heard some people absolutely losing it because of an abandoned vehicle in front of their house that's been parked there for a week. <laughs> or people losing it over the loud music that's just been on for 30 minutes and they're trying to sleep. And they're absolutely at a level that their blood pressure must be off the charts. There's no composure. When he said to them, where is your faith? It means that Jesus was saying, you know what, I, I can't find it. I'm not seeing it. 
It's not revealing itself here. Yesterday I was looking for my wallet. Where's my wallet? I looked for a half an hour before work. I couldn't find it. I called Cindy and I said, you know what, we better get online and see if anybody's taking my wallet and credit cards because I don't know where it is. And she says, I'm looking right at it. And I said, where is it? She goes, behind a candle. I looked. I couldn't find it, but there it was. Where's my keys? Something we, we can't find. We, we've lost. Jesus says to them, where, where's your faith? It's not that he didn't know, but he wanted them to see. Where did it go? He did find something, though. He found doubt and fear. Imagine that as a law firm, doubt and fear, associates. <laughs> For some reason, that struck me when I read it, doubt and fear. What it just says, you know, ooh, nobody would want to ever go to a company like that. <laughs> Why would we want those in our lives, doubt and fear? How positive is that? We want immediate help. Sometimes we want God's immediate help. Story of Lazarus, like I said, this morning that we were studying, Martha and Mary, they were expecting Jesus to make it on time so that their brother wouldn't die. And maybe they were telling Lazarus as well, you know what, he's going to get here. Just hang on. Hang on. He's going to get here. Well, scripture tells us he didn't. He died. By the time Jesus got back, by the time the messenger got to him, and he'd been, it had been four days, he'd been dead. Of course, if you know the story in John chapter 11, Jesus says, you know what? There's a reason for this whole thing. The reason I'm not rushing back is because you're going to see the glory of God in this situation. And sure enough, we did, because he raised Lazarus. The Lord allowed that storm to teach them. He allows this storm to teach them something new about him that they didn't know. John 11 with Lazarus is that, you know what? I am the resurrection and the life. Here in Luke chapter 8, I've got power even over nature. You know, it's interesting. The disciples forgot something when they said, we're perishing. But they forgot something that Jesus said, and it was a little clue in verse 22. He said, Let's go, let us go over to the other side of the lake. Let's go to the other side. He wasn't going to leave them there. He didn't say, let's go into the boat so that we can die in the middle of it in a storm. He said, I'm going to carry you to the other side. That's the assurance that we're going to have. God's going to get us over to the other side for us who know the Lord Jesus. And that other side is this wonderful place where he dwells, heaven. He's going to get us there. We don't know what's all going to happen in between, but he does, and he knows the end from the beginning. They weren't going to die, not on this journey. Their, delay, their dying, if you like, was going to be delayed. But they'd forgotten that. Reminds me of the story I heard of a man who went to the doctor and he was told he had six months to live, but he couldn't pay his bills, so the doctor gave him another six months. <laughs> it's going to be delayed. It's going to happen at another time. Applications, four things for us in wrapping up that we need to remember. Number one, Jesus is right here with us as we continue on this journey. He's right here with us. He says that. It's probably one of the most precious verses to a number of people. The verse in Matthew 28, he says, Surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Is that not one of the greatest promises ever? It's awesome. Jesus is right here with us, and we need to remember that because following Christ is not always going to be 
smooth sailing. There is going to be trouble. He told us that in John 14. He said, in this world you will have tribulation. There will be commotion. There will be all kinds of storms of different intensity. And yet in it we can still know peace. Jesus is right here with us. And number two, if we try and save ourselves during the storms, if we try and rely on our own knowledge and our own way that we're going to figure out how to get out of it, we'll eventually and often, often fail. And what will happen is, as we fret, and as we look at the storm, as Peter did when he was walking on the water in another storm, and he started to see himself on those waves, eventually what happens is, is we give in to a very understandable and common emotion. It starts with the letter F, and it ends in the word R. Fear, absolutely, in the letter R. We'll give in to fear. And yet we have these wonderful verses in the scriptures that tell us to fear not. Again, the reason for it, the basis for it, is, is because I am with you. It's a song that Cindy and I just love that we play. It seems probably once a week in our, on our CD in the car when we're driving around. And it just says this, hide me now under your wings. We talked about that in a hymn. Cover me within your mighty hand. When the oceans rise and thunders roar, I will soar with you above the storm. Father, you are king over the flood. I will be still and know you are God. Thirdly, our lives really, at the end of the day, we have to remember our lives are in God's hands and not in the storms. The storms, and for that matter, the enemy, Satan, they don't, he doesn't control our lives. Circumstances that happen, they're not what controls. Our lives are in God's hands. And you know what this does? This gives us freedom. This gives us wonderful, wonderful freedom to move in his will, where he wants us to go, where he wants us to be. We just, not recklessly at all, but we just very much with freedom just go. We're not under the bondage of wondering, you know, uh, if I take this flight uh, as opposed to this flight, or if I get on this airline as opposed to this airline, or should I take this train, or what if this happens, or this happens, or maybe should I go on the road at this hour or this hour, and we're trying to think that it's somehow all controlled by that, when it isn't. Our lives are in God's hands. Fourthly, we need to see the storms from God's point of view. This might be one of the most difficult things, because when we're in it, whatever it is, we start thinking, and some of you are much better thinkers than, than I, and you're able to just think. You have a wonderful brain. The danger for some folk who think too much is they're missing that, that, you know, and all that thinking, they might be thinking or forgetting to ask, what, what is God trying to do in this? What's his purpose? Will he, can, he, can he show it? Can you reveal it to me, Lord? What is it you want to do? I'm one of the ones in the sense of the physical storms of life that likes, like I said, a good old storm. I would rather it rain 300 years, 300 days, 300 years, 300 days a year, and I'd be happy for 65 days of sun. But I listen to some folk, and as far as the weather, they want it sunny 365 here in California. This, you know, any cloud or rain, it's just like, oh. Sometimes in our lives, we under, have to understand God is going to bring storms. It isn't going to be 365 days where it's absolutely the sea is like glass in our lives. Most of us don't want troubles or trials. I'm sure none of us today are wishing for that. We don't like the storm chasers who actually go after the tornadoes. We're not out there looking for them. But they do sometimes come right out of the blue. 
some of us would love to say, you know, as we're, you're looking out on that, if you follow the weather, you're looking, people are asking me at work all the time, what's the weather going to be like next week, Randy, you know, and I'll tell them, and then some say, hey, how about two more months from now up in Canada, as somebody said to me today, can you tell me what's going to be like up in northwest Canada in, in May? I said, no, I can't do that. <laughs> I can only do so much of what I read on the computer charts and what the forecast discussions say. But we can't say, you know, I see the storm of sickness coming next week in my life. You know, I, it's coming. We don't know that. God doesn't give us warnings in advance in his infinite wisdom and knowledge. But he wants us to be ready by remembering his promises and remembering that whatever they are, they're for our spiritual growth. And lastly, in wrapping up and all of this in verse 25 at the very end, in it they discover something because of the storm. The disciples question, who is this? Reveals something that they have now received a new insight, a new revelation, if you like, a new understanding of who Jesus is. And they come to understand that he is not an ordinary man. He's not even just a, a great teacher or a rabbi or some wonderful prophet. Like I said earlier, they thought they knew him well, but they really knew him only a little. And for us, the more we know him, the more we understand who he is and his greatness as God, then the greater